You know, as Allie was talking, I could not help but just over and over in my head having this question. So what? what's my deal? What's our deal? What is it that stands in our way and that we let stand in our way from declaring the praises of Him? Anything mysterious going on in your life? You know the stuff I'm talking about. I'm talking about the stuff that you didn't plan, the stuff that you can't figure out, stuff you don't particularly like, stuff like has happened in Allie's life. Is there something like that in your life right now? For many of you in this room, there is. There's something mysterious going on. Do you ever wonder what God is up to in your life? Are there times when the circumstances are not at all what you think they, they thought they would be or, frankly, what you think they now should be. William Cowper wrote a great old hymn called God Moves in a Mysterious Way. You'll hear most of the verses before the message is over today, but if you have never heard that hymn, if you don't know it, I'd encourage you to check it out. The first line of the hymn is this, God moves in a mysterious way His wonders to perform. Could it be even as Allie's testified, that right now in those circumstances of your life that don't fit your plan or my liking, that God is actually doing exactly what He's planned for His glory and your good and the advance of the gospel. By the way, if you're a Jesus follower, that's what your life's about. His glory, He is working your good even when you don't feel it or understand it or it doesn't feel good. And he is working to use you in the advance of the gospel. My life is not about me. Your life, if you're his, is not about you. And so if we got back to the basics of that, it would clear up a lot of our frustration in life. Amen? If I woke up every day realizing it's all about his glory, my eternal good, and the advance of the gospel through my life, then things would be a lot less complicated. Could it be? Those mysterious ways are is, is, is exactly that in them, is, that's exactly what he's working in us. We continue this morning in our study in the book of Acts. We've entitled this study, Jesus Gospel Gathering for Gospel Going. That's the phrase we're using to boil down a, the 28-chapter uh, book called the book of Acts. It's Luke's travel journal as he traveled around uh, uh, on, on the missionary journeys with Paul and, and hung out with some of the other apostles. Jesus Gospel Gathering, the book's about the church, right? It's about the early church, Jesus Gospel Gathering. That's who we are. And the word used for church in the New Testament is better translated gathering. It's the word ecclesia. And so we are Jesus Gospel Gathering, purchased by his own blood on the cross. And we gather here around the gospel in order that we might then fulfill the commission he's given us and go with the gospel. So we are Jesus' gospel gathering for gospel going, and that's what this book of Acts is all about. Today we come to the amazing story of how God plants a church. In Acts chapter 16, this morning we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 40 in the next few minutes. If you're sharp and have been keeping up with our study, what you realize is that I just skipped Acts 15, 36 to Acts 16, verse 5. And you're right. And we're not going to cover that. You just need to read that. 
Uh, if you have questions about that, see me. Can't cover it all sometimes and just needed to, to move forward uh, to chapter uh, 16, verse 6 this morning. The story of how God plants a church. Here's the take-home truth from this passage that I want you to, to get. God will use you in unique and unexpected ways to bring others to Jesus and build his church. Can you just keep Allie's story in the front of your mind as we go through? Amen? Even as he is this young lady that we've heard from this morning. Well, the question then is how? How can we be ready to be God's agent in bringing others to Jesus? I want you to notice from the text as we work through it a little bit at a time, Four responsibilities we are given that will keep us in sync with God and ready for His use. First of all, the way God can use us, the way we can be ready for God to use us in unique and unexpected ways to bring others to Jesus and build His church is this. We must follow the Holy Spirit's leading and trust His timing. We pick the text up in verse 6, and it says there, "...of Paul and Silas..." And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. Now, they had two mission strategies uh, plans and of travel in that in that passage. You hear that? And what did God say to both of them? Nope. So here's the map. Let's kind of give you some geography and catch this. So this is where they were. They were at Antioch, and, and in Acts 16, uh, into 15, into 16, it tells us they started moving on their second journey. Paul says. Um, Let's go visit the churches that they established. Remember these churches, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, that were established in the first missionary journey? They said, let's go back. Well, this time they go over land and come this way. They come to Tarsus, and then they start working their way this way to all these towns. And then from Antioch, they wanted, the text said, first to go to, um, uh, to Asia, which would be down this way, down south. But the Holy Spirit said no. So then they thought, well, we'll go north to Bithynia is the yellow up there. And the Holy Spirit said no. So what did, did God do? He squeezed them into one other direction left, right? They came from the east. Where could they go? Not south, not north. They've got to go west. And so they went west into Mysia. And eventually, as we'll read, they came to Troas. So, uh, and then from there, just so you can see on the map where they're going, in a little bit they'll depart from Troas, go uh, through the water there to Philippi over in Macedonia. So we'll hear about that in a minute. But there's the picture. That's kind of the map. But Paul and Silas had two mission strategy plans, and God said no to both of them. So what did they do? What should you do in that kind of situation? They just kept moving forward with the gospel, trying the next spot. Now, what I want you to understand about all of this as, as they are, are trying to find the will of God here, and he's telling them no to the south, no to the north, it's all about them taking the gospel. This is, follow me, this is not about them getting to the next vacation spot. Are you with me? This is about them, and thus you and I, getting to the next ministry point, the next place for the gospel to be 
expounded and, 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 and told and, and, and unfolded for those that we know. And so they just kept moving. No to the north, no to the south. Okay, we'll go west. And they literally went to the place where they could not take another step. They were at the coast at Troas. You know, Jesus' great commission was, literally, literally says in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, as you are going, make disciples. Sometimes we, 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 we read that and some translations have it, go and make disciples. Literally, it's, it's as you're going. As you're moving with the gospel, make disciples along the way. You see, God is in control of our going. God's sovereign over our schedules. And if we'll listen to him, he'll even say no to the south, no to the north, go west, right? He'll lead us clearly and specifically with and for the sake of the gospel. He's sovereign over our schedules, where we live and where we work and the relationships we have. You're not where you are. You don't know who you know. You don't have the opportunities that you have just because. They're very intentionally and sovereignly orchestrated by God, your Father, so that you can tell the story of His Son right where you are or right where you end up. Amen? And Jesus lives in us by his Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, as, as he prays for us, Jesus praying, and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells in you and will be in you. Where's the Holy Spirit going to be? In you, right? Over and over, Jesus said it. And then he says this. Sounds like he's changing things up here because he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Is he referring to his second coming there? Anybody? It's kind of a trick question. No. What is he saying? He's saying the Holy Spirit that's going to be in you, that's me. I'm going to come live in you. When we tell our kids that Jesus comes to live in their heart, that's good theology. Straight from the mouth of Jesus. By his spirit, he comes to live in their heart. He lives in us. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I, even I, by, my, by the spirit, will come to you. Jesus is with us as we go through life and will direct us by the Holy Spirit. Are you listening? Are we anything like Paul and Silas who could hear him say, not to the south, not to the north, to the west? No, he will always like we think he ought to. He won't always open doors according to our timeline, but our responsibility is to follow his leading and trust his timing. That's how we'll be ready to be used by him in, in unique and unexpected ways to bring others to Jesus and to build his church. Again, two closed doors, and Paul and Silas end up in a place where they can literally not walk another step in the same direction. And that is exactly when God's clear and specific call often comes. Not just in their case, but in our case. God will use you in unique and unexpected ways to bring others to Jesus and build His church if you will follow His leading and trust His timing. But secondly, if you'll respond immediately when God's call is clear. Sometimes it's not. Or sometimes it's no. 
But sometimes it's crystal clear. What do we do? We sit back like we hadn't heard a thing. And we know we've heard. If we're going to be used by God, we must respond immediately when, we, when God's call is clear. Verse 9 of this chapter says, and a vision. So where is he? He's in Troas. He's gone as far west as he can go. He's hit water. He can't keep walking. Something's got to change. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. That's the city we pointed to across the water to the west-northwest of Troas. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought, Luke was with Paul, apparently, because he writes in, 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 in terms of him being along, we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Pretty good conclusion, wasn't it? I mean, in the middle of the night, Paul gets a vision, and there's a man saying, come to Macedonia. Well, I mean, when you wake up, you ought to know it's time to get up and go. I wonder how many of us would have just dismissed that as a bad dream or a weird dream or something, right? Instead of hearing the voice of God in that, take the gospel to Macedonia. Especially when, understand, Paul and Silas were sitting in Troas wondering where they were supposed to go. Because God said no to the south, no to the north, only west, and they'd gone as far as they could go west. How do we miss the voice of God sometimes when we are at a place where we're asking and seeking? He speaks. And yet we act like he hadn't said a word. You see, we need to respond immediately when God's call is clear. Now, chances are you and I won't get a vision outlining our next assignment from the Lord. But when the Holy Spirit leads us, here's the thing. You will know clearly what we're to do, even where we're to go. And when he's made his call clear, our responsibility is to respond immediately. That old hymn, God Moves in a Mysterious Way, continues in one of the verses, His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. God said no to the south. God said no to the north. They took him to Troas, and they didn't know what he was saying. And yet in a vision, he spoke very clearly. His purposes ripened fast, unfolding even every hour. The bud may have had a bitter taste at first, but sweet will be the flower. Colossians 4, verse 5 says, Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time, making the most, some translations have it, of every opportunity. Do not hesitate. When God's call. His call is right on time for someone to meet Jesus, okay? There's a reason he's calling you now to go, to talk, to have lunch with, to serve, whatever it is he's calling you to do. There's a reason, and it's right now. Or if it's a call that's going to get you somewhere in six months, maybe in another location, maybe to an unreached people, in a year, two years, there's somebody in that time frame that he's setting that up for so that they might hear about Jesus. Don't hesitate. God will use you in unique and unexpected ways to bring others to Jesus and build his church if we'll follow his leading and pay attention to his timing and if we will respond immediately when he makes the call clear. But thirdly, 
if we're going to be ready to be used by, G- by, by Jesus, then we need to talk about Jesus as we go and be ready for di- divine appointments. Talk about Jesus as you go, just all the time, just wherever you are, as you're going, make disciples and be ready for divine appointments. Do you think God gives visions to go across water in a boat to get to another place for nothing? Or do you think he's actually got a divine appointment set up for Paul and Silas on the other side of the water? What are you, what are you, what's your guess? Have you looked ahead in the Scripture? Well, if you haven't, let's read it. Verse 11. So, remember, vision. Clearly God's calling us to Macedonia. So setting sail from Troas... We made a direct voyage to Samothrace in the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. Uh, they, they just figured, okay, God didn't say which town in Macedonia to go to, but we just figured we'll start with the biggest city. Makes sense, doesn't it? More people in the city, right? More, more souls to possibly hear the gospel. So let's start there. And they go. And on the Sabbath day, verse 13, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. She was a God-fearing uh, Gentile lady. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. This story is, you could call this smooth as silk witnessing, amen? Smooth as silk. They go to the place where they know there's going to be a prayer gathering. They get there. They start talking about Jesus. And what does it say? One of us, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. I mean, that's how we all wish sharing our faith would go every single time. Amen? Man, we could be guaranteed on this smoothest silk deal we'd, we'd be in, wouldn't we? Nice, peaceful setting. I mean, it's, it's, it's a beautiful Sunday a- Sabbath afternoon here. Uh, nice, peaceful setting down by the river. And Paul is, and his companions are attending a ladies' prayer group. I mean, it's just perfect. And Paul preaches, and God saves Lydia. The Lord opened her heart to receive what Paul was saying. So we're in Philippi. You know anything... Anything, anything else in the New Testament about Philippi that calls us back to this town? Like books of the Bible? I'm, I'm trying to help you here. The book, the letter to the Philippians. Paul would later write a letter back to, the, to this very church. Church member number one is a businesswoman and her family. Before we're done this morning, we're going to see a small church made up of very diverse People know that God likes diversity. Jesus died for every kind of person in the world to save them right where they are. And in this case, he started with a businesswoman, a seller of purple goods there in Philippi. Paul didn't know for sure 
that this prayer meeting was one of the reasons why he'd come to Philippi, but he knew that he was supposed to keep talking about Jesus wherever he was. And as he did that, he found himself in the middle of a divine appointment. Our responsibility is to talk about Jesus as we go and be ready for divine appointments. Do you see how that works? Do you catch the order? Be talking about Jesus and find yourself in the middle of a divine appointment. You see, it doesn't work like my, my, my iPhone calendar does. I put stuff on there and then I make that happen, right? It's not the way it works. Divine appointment. That's a me appointment. That's a chat appointment. I make the appointment. The way divine appointments work is I just go around talking about Jesus and all of a sudden I'm in the same place at the same time with somebody who needs to hear about Jesus and next thing we know, they've met the Lord. Don't wait for God to say, hey, in 30 minutes you will be in a divine appointment. He'll not do it. Now, he may give you an inkling in a certain relationship you have. His spirit may lead you and tell you, yeah, this, this person's ready. But, but more often than not, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't he, you know, he, the little reminder on your phone, ding, you're supposed to meet so-and-so in 30 minutes. I mean, God doesn't do that, right? Why? Because he wants us to be faithful moment by moment, day by day, with just talking about him as we go. Talk about Jesus as we go and be ready for divine appointments. God will use you in unique and unexpected ways to bring others to Jesus and build his church if we indeed will talk about Jesus and be ready for those divine appointments. Lastly this morning, according to this text, if we're going to be ready to be used by God, we must expect detours and realize that those detours are part of God's schedule for us. Expect detours and realize they're part of God's schedule for you. Notice with me, beginning in verse 16, detour number one, and it's a detour of irritation. How many of you ever have stuff that comes along, just, it's just irritating? You wish you'd go away? I mean, nobody, right? Yeah, <laughs> As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl, Luke says, who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. So, girl's demon-possessed, and the demons are empowering her to, to do fortune-telling, and her, her owners, she's a slave, they're, they're making a lot of money on her. She followed Paul and us, crying out, are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And over and over, this is what she was saying. She wouldn't leave them alone. She wouldn't go away. She kept following them. She kept saying the same thing over and over. These men are servants of the Most High God. I'm telling you, they're proclaiming to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Even the Apostle Paul is only human. Listen to what he says. What Luke says, Paul, having become greatly annoyed, you think? A broken record's following him around, telling everybody who he is, what he's all about, and she won't shut up. She's demon-possessed. I mean, we know that. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. 
And it came out that very hour. You know, sometimes when you encounter in irritations, you probably need to keep your eyes open, amen? I'm not even sure Paul saw exactly what was coming. But there just might be an opportunity to share Jesus with someone. Now, I can't say 100%, but I think it's a pretty safe guess to say God saved this girl. Not just took the demon out, but put Jesus in, amen? I think, I think the package deal happened. That's what I think happened. So notice, a detour of irritation turns into a witnessing opportunity, and now the church at Philippi has its second church member. Church member number two is a demon-possessed girl. That is, formerly demon-possessed girl. As that great old hymn, God Moves in a Mysterious Way, says, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence... He hides a smiling face. How many times do we, by feeble sense, judge the Lord? We look at our circumstances and we say, God, you're crazy. Allie testified she did it for a while. God, this, isn't no, this is no good. You're angry at me. This, this can't be right. Something's, something's amiss. Paul, he's got this broken record falling around. He, he won't, she won't shut up. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. God's grace was at work, was it? Was it not? Behind a frowning providence. I mean, nobody wants a demon-possessed girl following them around, wrecking their style, messing up their, their whole deal wherever they go. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. The deal is, don't stop talking about Jesus when you don't understand the schedule for you. Keep talking about him and keep trusting him. Detour number one, irritation. Detour number two, steps up a little bit. Opposition and persecution. Verse 19. So Paul, greatly annoyed, <laughs> with holy anger maybe or aggravation, I don't know. He commands the demon to come out. Girl gets saved, church member number two. But that causes a problem for her owners. Verse 19, when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, financial gain. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged him them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they'd have inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. That's a detour. I mean, this trip to Philippi started out great, smooth as silk. Go in, talk to a group of people, a woman gets saved. A church is planted with her and her family. It's even going all right when this broken record demon-possessed girl won't shut up and, and we cast the demon out of her. She's saved. But then the whole town comes after Paul and Silas. They beat them with rods. Did you catch that? Sticks. And they threw them in prison. Quite a detour. 
And just from a purely human standpoint, as the old hymn says, blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. Would we have not been like, God, what are you doing? This, can, there's no way this can be part of your plan. We just got beaten and now we're in jail. Blind unbelief is sure to err. The moment you go blind by, by not believing the goodness and the plan and sovereignty of God in all of your circumstances is the moment you won't be able to see and you will make a mistake, you will err. And we'll scan his work in vain. We'll look, but we won't be able to see what he's doing. I love this line. God doesn't need your opinion on what he's doing in your life. He, he really is unconcerned about what you think about what he's doing in your life. I'm not saying that he's not sympathetic and full of compassion towards us, but at the end of the day, God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. And there in that Philippian jail, he did just that, didn't he? Listen to the rest of the story. Why are we here, Paul? I don't know, but we ought to pray and we ought to sing. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They had a little better perspective on, on God's providence than sometimes we do. And the prisoners were listening to them. That, that in and of itself is a witness, amen? And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everybody's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw that the, that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped and he knew he was going to die anyway. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do? To be saved. He'd heard their singing. He'd heard their prayers. He might have even heard their preaching that got him thrown and beaten and thrown in jail. And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. You know, even when we're opposed, even when you're the object of persecution, be assured that God's put you in position to share Jesus with someone, maybe even your persecutor, maybe even your jailer. Isn't that amazing? God picks such a diverse bunch of people with which to plant a church in Philippi. Church member number one, a businesswoman. Church member number two, a formerly demon-possessed girl. And now church member number three, members number three, a jailer, their jailer, and his whole family. Isn't that amazing? This is how God plants a church. How many of you would plant a church this way? Yeah, me either. This is crazy. But this is how God plants a church. The old hymn continues, Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. This is our God. 
Deep and unfathomable minds of never-failing skill. Behind the scenes, under it all, when we can't see what he's doing. When it doesn't make sense and we've been beaten and thrown in jail. He treasures up his bright designs and he's very simply working out his sovereign will. What a God. But the deal is, our responsibility in the middle of it all is don't stop talking about Jesus when you don't understand God's schedule for you. You know what we do? Things don't go quite our way. Things, don't, things, things, things aren't running as smoothly as we'd like. And we just, we just clam up. We, just, we, we get the perspective. You know what? If God's not going to give me the American dream and bless my plans and, and, and you know, baptize all the stuff I want in life, then I'm just, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to follow him. I mean, if he'll give me that new job, if he'll give me that money, if he'll allow me to buy that or buy this or have this or have that, all this worldly mind, mindset of the American dream, I mean, if he'll bless me, then I'll serve him. <laughs> really? And I suggest to you that you may not know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. You may be one who says, Lord, Lord, to whom he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Because if you think that's what it's about, the God of the Bible, the Holy One, who dwells among us, he's not about you. He's about him. He's not pro your plans and making sure you get to live the American dream. He is using you as a jar of clay. We have the privilege, Stacy, of being included in his kingdom work and what he's up to in this world. We just get to go along. And what we've got to get through our screwed up American minds as Christians here in this place is that that path is not often a path of ease. It is a path of suffering. Why? If they rejected and hated him, why would it be any different for us? In fact, that's how his gospel shines the brightest. It's when in a jar of clay that's being beat up, this glorious message of grace and mercy and love and even love of, the, of the, the ones that are persecuting us, it shines more brightly than anything the world's ever seen or heard. We've got to expect detours and realize they're part of God's schedule for you. He's sovereign. God will use us in unique and unexpected ways to bring others to Jesus and to build his church. I want you to look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It'll be on the screen. So this is how God plants a church. And we've seen the first few members of the church at Philippi. In 2 Corinthians 8, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and he's talking about the church at Philippi, particularly as he calls them, the Macedonians. It could have included some other churches in the area, but at least it certainly included the church at Philippi. And of these people that just got saved in Acts chapter 16 that we've just been talking about, he writes, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction. What, what was in the future of, of this little fledgling church? A severe test of affliction. Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means. Of their own accord, begging us unearnestly for the favor of 
of taking part in the relief of the saints. And in particular there, what they were talking about is the relief of the saints in Jerusalem. At that, at that point, the church in Jerusalem was being persecuted to the hilt. But even this church that was in an extreme test of affliction, it sounds like this extreme poverty probably because of their faith in Jesus. Paul basically said, look, you can't afford to give. Like, like that collection you just took up to send to Jerusalem to the church there, you can't afford that. Just keep some of that. Let's just, let's just, let's just go 50% of that. Y'all got to eat. They said, no, Paul. It's our joy to give to our brothers. Don't rob us of, of literally, of the blessing of giving here. So a couple things I want you to see. This church at Philippi, it got worse quick for them. Things got hard fast. And yet in the middle of it all, they had a joy in Jesus that wouldn't go away. So that they were able to give even beyond their ability. How many of us really give? I'm not talking about just money. How many of us give even to our ability? Y'all all right? They didn't give to their ability. They gave beyond their ability. They went without so they could give to somebody else and they would have. God planted a church through Paul in crazy ways and with a diverse group of people and then God used that small and impoverished church to demonstrate his grace in such a way that it would be recorded in the word of God forever as an example of what God's grace can do. God will use you in unique and unexpected ways to bring others to Jesus and to build his church. When he was 15 years old, Jonathan Hayashi had been arrested, tried, blacklisted, and put behind bars. He hated Christians, he hated his father, and he hated God. He never imagined how God was already working to bring him to faith and to send him eventually to minister in a Baptist church more than 6,000 miles away in Missouri right now, today. In fact, God was working long before this. Years earlier, when Hayashi's mother studied English at a college in Japan, she met International Mission Board missionaries teaching English through the Bible. I just want to pause in the story right here and tell you this. You'll hear an announcement in, in a little while about the International Learning Center. You've seen it in your bulletin. You've wondered because you've told me. What is that all about? It's about teaching English and using the scriptures and witnessing to people in our, in our neck of the woods, predominantly in the Hispanic community, through teaching English with the Word of God. If you're interested in that, February 25th is when we're going to check it out. Uh, it's, this is a, basically an unmet need in our county, and we have the opportunity to meet that. So if you're interested, see me. So his mother was, was, was won to Christ through these international mission boards, Southern Baptist missionaries who were teaching English to this lady. Soon she came to faith and began a, a lifelong walk in the Lord. Then she met Hayashi's father. Although he wasn't a believer, she married him following the poor advice of a pastor who said it would be a great way to win him to faith. Hear me, teenagers. Dumb. Do not try that. Scripture even says don't do it, so we're okay telling you that. As it turned out, her new husband was not only a staunch atheist, but he could also be angry and abusive. Hayashi said, my father really thought we were a bunch of fools believing in a fairy tale. Growing up, I lived in fear of him. Hayashi says, 
recounting how as a young boy he saw his dad beat his older brother and mother. This is in our lifetime in Japan. It was unbearable, he said. The only place I could run away from reality was music. Whenever I was scared, hurt, mad, or angry, I ran to the piano. It gave me this temporary peace, but it didn't last long. By the time he was 12 years old, he sought elsewhere for a means of escape. He met up with the wrong crowd and under their influence began to drink, smoke, and use drugs. He joined the third most violent gang in the area and angry at God, he turned his back on his mother's faith. I loved the things God hated and I hated the things God loved. But deep down in my heart, I knew there had to be more to life than sex, power, and money. In time, he was kicked out of school and ran away from home. And at the age of 15, he lived on the streets. But he was arrested then for stealing a motorcycle and and for his gang membership. It was in that moment, as he sat in the back of a police car, that that he felt as if God tapped on his heart, telling him, Jonathan, I have a bigger plan for you. This is not what you're supposed to do. Determined to help her son, Hayashi's mother sent him to a missionary home in Tokyo where he was able to break ties with his past. No more girlfriend, no more gang, no more smoking or alcohol or drugs. Also in Tokyo, he met Pastor Kawamata. This pastor was the real deal, Hayashi said. He didn't judge me. He welcomed me into his home. He just loved me and prayed for me. Moved by the love that Kawamata showed him, Hayashi asked him why he differed so much from other Christians that he had known. In response, the pastor shared his own testimony in the truth of the gospel. Something penetrated my heart, Hayashi said, and I began to weep for the first time in my life. So that night at age 16, I decided to confess Jesus Christ as Lord to the glory of God the Father. From that moment onward, he began to change, even in his attitude toward his father. Not only was I able to forgive my father, he said, but I was able to love him from the bottom of my heart. He also got a second chance at school. His mother enrolled him in a missionary school in Malaysia to finish high school. Then, growing in his desire to serve the Lord, he moved to the United States where he earned a bachelor's and a master's degree at Moody Bible Institute. Here he also met his wife, Kennedy. Today, Hayashi is completing his doctor of education degree at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and he serves a church as a minister of worship and discipleship at First Baptist Church, Troy. His wife, who studied children's ministry at Moody, also serves as a part-time children's director at the church, as well as caring for their two young children. Looking back at his testimony, Hayashi expresses gratitude for his mother's lifelong faithfulness to Christ. I praise God for my mother, he said. She was a prayer warrior. And in answer to her prayers, not only is Hayashi a faithful Christian today, but so are all his siblings. Moreover, five years ago, His father also came to faith in Christ while reading the Gospel of John. Because of this, Hayashi also thanks God for Southern Baptist missionaries who went across the globe to Japan, one of the most unreached areas in the globe, sometimes called the missionary's graveyard, where they led his mother to faith in Christ by a simple act, a simple method of teaching English. Never underestimate what God can do through your available heart and life. Never underestimate what God can do through our availability as a church. And it's just screaming to be said, 
We have the opportunity to teach English to the Hispanic community in LJ. Will we let God use us? God will use us in unique and unexpected ways to bring others to Jesus and build His church. If we'll follow the Holy Spirit's leading and trust His timing, if we'll respond immediately when God's call is clear, if we'll talk about Jesus as we go and be ready for divine appointments when they come, and if we'll expect detours and realize that those detours are really just part of the schedule, just part of the path God has for us.